0: Good morning, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Tony, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, God is doing something special. It's always awesome when you hear prophetic words and declarations that are lining up exactly with what the Lord told you to speak in the message. So that's what happened today. And I do have a a few funny things for you right off the bat, so... Sometimes we can just get them warmed up like that. Tony's already getting warmed up. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> he, he, he. <laughs> yeah, we need to laugh more. Laughter is good medicine. So this first one is just a tip for men. It's a marriage tip. I like to help the men out. So here's just a good marriage tip for the men. Your wife will never start a fight with you while you're cleaning. So there you go. Just trying to help you out. Okay, <laughs> I I like this one. Um, I saw a microbiologist today. He was bigger than I expected. <laughs> That's my sense of humor right there. I thought he was going to be smaller. Um, my wife accused me of stealing her thesaurus. Not only was I shocked, I was appalled, aghast, and dismayed. <laughs> okay, I got one more. This one's a little long, so... Here we go. Buckle up. Several men are in the locker room of a golf club. A cell phone on a bench rings, and a man answers the phone. He puts it on speaker and begins to talk. Everyone else in the room stops to listen. Man, hello. Woman, hi, honey. It's me. Are you at the club? The man says, yes. She responds, I'm at the mall right now, and I found this beautiful leather coat. It's only $2,000. Is it okay if I buy it? Sure. Go ahead if you like it that much. She continues, I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership, and I saw the new models. I saw one I really liked. Well, how much? She said, it's 200000 He said, well, OK. But for that price, I want it with all the options. She responded, great. Oh, and one more thing. The house we wanted last year is back on the market. They're asking $2.2 million. He responds, well, then, go ahead and give them the offer, but just offer $2 million. If they say no, we could go the other 200000 She responds, okay, I'll see you later. I love you so much. He says, okay, I love you too. The man hangs up. The other men in the locker room are staring at him in astonishment with mouths wide open. He turns and asks everyone, does anyone know who this phone this is? That's a good one. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you so much. You're so good. You're a God of joy. You're a God of breakthrough. You're a God of victory. And we thank you that you've given us the victory already in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I declare victory this morning. I declare victory over every person here and breakthrough over every person here, God. God, that this is the year to see breakthrough and victory and to step into deeper levels of the promise that you have for us. God, I bless each person here. I ask for your anointing to be upon this word today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen. All right. God is is breaking down walls today. There's a spirit of victory and breakthrough in this house. So we've been talking all year about going into the promised land. How many know God wants to get you into the promised land? He took you out of Egypt to take you into the promised land. He brought you out to take you in. Look at your neighbor and say, he brought you out to, to take you in. We give him our life, and it's like Ken just said, he's given us so much. We give him our life. That's what we have to give and he gives us himself and he gives us the kingdom. And this is an amazing trade. This is like we everything that we have to give. I mean you know the bible says our righteousness it's it says filthy rags. And and we give him our life and it's like we bring him everything we have and it's like trading a $1 bill for a billion dollars. And all he asks is like give me your $1 bill and i'm going to give you everything. I give you Jesus. I give you the kingdom. So we're so thankful that Jesus has given us everything. He's given us victory. So we give him our life. And when we do that, that's our Red Sea moment. They were at the children of Israel. They were at the Red Sea and the enemies started to come after them. And they were dead unless God showed up. There was no way. There was nothing that they could do. And God does something that they could not do for themselves. He opens up the Red Sea and brings them through on dry ground. This is what happened when you got saved, when you said yes to Jesus. That was our Red Sea moment where we could not save ourselves. Our righteousness doesn't cut it on our best day, but Jesus' righteousness is enough. And when we said yes to Jesus, that's our miracle. He opens up the Red Sea We come through on dry ground. Amen? So there was two prominent leaders in the story of of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and into the Promised Land, and it's Moses and Joshua. These were the two leaders, first Moses, and then when Moses passed on, it was Joshua. So Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt, but it was Joshua... That took them into the promised land. And this is significant because John 1.17 says this. It says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. How many know uh, Joshua's name? In the Hebrew, it's actually Jehoshua, which is like, it's the same as Yeshua. It's like Mike and Michael, they're they're the same name. Yehoshua and Yeshua, it's the same name. And so Joshua's Hebrew name was actually the same as Yeshua. So the Bible says that the law was given through Moses. He was the lawgiver, but he could not bring them into the promised land. It had to be Jesus. Yeshua brings you into the promised land. Amen? The law, your knowledge of the law, how well you can perform the law, your knowledge of good and evil. I love it when Joy talks about the two trees. All that stuff can't get you into the promised land. We get into our promised land through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, law, versus the tree of life, Jesus. Another picture of the same thing. So today we're going to talk about Jericho. And we're going to go look at Joshua chapters 5 and 6. So, the context here, and I'm reading if you want to follow along, I think we have it for the screens, but also um, if you're following along in a digital version, I'm going to be in the NIV. So, the Israelites now in Joshua 5, they're actually in the promised land. Um, but Jericho is where God begins to give them the victory over their enemies. So, how many know there's a difference between, okay, we've, we're there, we've come into the promise. But now God's going to begin to give victory over the enemies that you have. And this is what Jericho represents. This is like, I'm going to begin to show you victory against these things that are standing against you in your life. How many want victory today? There's a spirit of victory here, and you can just grab onto it. Just say, it's mine. So we're going to talk about Jericho today. We're going to start in Joshua 5. We're going to read verse 13 and go through the end of the chapter, which is just through 15. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So now it's widely agreed upon that that this person that's meeting Joseph right now, this isn't just an angel. This is Jesus. This is the commander of the Lord's army. And he says, Lord, to him. And he bows before him. I mean, no, we don't worship angels. He, He says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter gets excited, he hacks a guy's ear off, We know what happens. Jesus heals the man's ear. Jesus says, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And then right after that, he says, hey, don't you guys know I could command 12 legions of angels to come, which is about 72,000 angels, which would probably be a little overkill for the dozen or so men that are coming to get him. But he says, don't you know that I could command 72,000 angels to come? Even then, Jesus is showing he is the commander of the Lord's army. Amen? So this man that Joshua encounters, which in the Hebrew is Jehoshua, this, in this passage we just read, Jehoshua meets Yeshua, and Yeshua gives him the instructions. So he has an, a literal encounter. Theologians call this a Christophany, which a Christophany is, is an appearance of Jesus Christ in, the, in a human form that we would see in the Old Testament. So this man identifies himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. Another thing that I want to point out is that the Lord says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Remember when this, this happened another time. Remember when? Moses. Moses sees a talking plant. He, he said, I'm going to check this out. And the, again, the same language is used. says the Lord speaks to him and says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Now, some people look at that and they, and they think, and I used to think this, that what was being said here is like, look, take off your dirty, filthy shoes. Because you don't want to defile this holy ground with your dirty shoes. But do you remember when Jesus was crucified, one of the things that happened was the veil was torn. One of the kids, um, Tia and Nigel, who were teaching the kids a few weeks ago, they were talking about the veil being torn. And I heard one of the kids talking about it, and he says, God's veil was torn, God's it was torn. <laughs> it really impacted him. <laughs> but when Jesus was crucified, the veil was torn. Why was the veil torn? What was behind the veil? The presence, God's behind the veil. The presence of God. This symbolized, and it was. And the Bible says it's torn from top to bottom. So it wasn't like it's ripped a little bit, so you can kind of get a little peek of the presence. No, it was fully ripped. It symbolizes no more separation between my presence and my people. And now, remember, this is Jesus encountering Joshua. And I don't think he's saying, get your dirty shoes off the presence. I think he's saying, take your shoes off so you can put your bare foot on my presence. I don't even want a sandal to be in between me and you. Take your shoes off and stand in my presence with your bare feet. I want you to have no separation between me and you. Let's read on Joshua chapter 6 verse 1. Says now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Remember when Moses sent the 12 leaders to spy out the land? And 10 of them came back with a bad report. They said, we can't do it. It's too hard. The giants are too big. And by the way, we're grasshoppers. And they see us as grasshoppers, is basically what they said. How many know that, was an act- that actually was a declaration? They made a declaration. We're small we're powerless, we're insignificant, and they also made a judgment that that's how they saw them too. They said, this is how we see ourselves and that's how they see us. That was a declaration. Do you know that the enemy is actually afraid of you? The enemy is actually afraid of you and you know what he's really terrified of? He's terrified that we come together in unity. The enemy is afraid of you. So they said, the enemy sees us as small and insignificant. But how did the enemy actually see them? According to the verse we just read. could we put that up again? Joshua 6.1. Are we at, we have what? Okay, maybe we don't have it. It's okay. Joshua 6.1 says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. They were afraid. No one went in. No one came out. Because of the Israelites, they shut the city down. They're like, we're going to make sure they're not getting in. Because they were actually terrified of the Israelites. They had heard the stories of what God did in Egypt. They had heard the stories of what God had been doing for them in the wilderness, and they're terrified. They're scared. So the enemy is actually afraid of you. Let's read on. Verse 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now, by the way, this is a continuation of the conversation that Jesus is having with Joshua. He says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. God has already given us the land. God has already given us victory over the strongholds in our lives. Jericho represents the strongholds that you're wanting to see come down in your life, the defeat of the enemy in your life. And it could be the enemy of fear, anxiety, depression, sickness. God wants to bring those strongholds down in your life, and he's already given you the victory. This is what Jesus says to Joshua. I've already given you the victory. I'm already doing it. I have delivered Jericho into your hands I believe this wholeheartedly. You can't miss it. You can't miss what God has for your life unless you give up. The enemy's trying as hard as he can to get you to give up and get you to quit, to get you to run away because that's the only way he can stop God's plan for your life. I believe wholeheartedly if we come with humility and we don't give up, the plan of God will happen for our life. You can't miss it unless you give up. So Jesus continues to talk to Joshua, verse 3. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army... Give a long shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Worst military strategy ever. (laughs) This does not sound like, Joshua's probably thinking like, hey, I've got my fighting men ready, and he's going to give us this amazing military strategy, and he's like, I want you to just walk. And you, you imagine in this conversation, he's probably thinking... Uh, then we attack? W- w- okay. And then, uh, then blow the trumpet. Okay. And then, then we attack after that? or No. And then I don't want you to scream. Oh, okay. And then we're going to attack. No. Then the walls are just going to come down and you could just march in. He's like, oh, we're not going to have to fight. God's just doing the battle for us. Amen. Worst military strategy ever. This is right up there with uh, the battle plan given to Gideon. Say, like, hey, take your 32,000 men army, strip it back to 300, and then I want you to go up there with torches and, and trumpets and then just blow the trumpet and hold up the torches. Surround the enemy, which is you're way outnumbered by. Blow the trumpet, let them know you're there, and hold up a torch. Here we are. <laughs> this this is not going to be in a documentary of like military great strategies, right? So it doesn't sound like a good strategy. How many know that the battle belongs to the Lord? The battle belongs to the Lord. Our best plans in the natural are not going to get us into the promised land. Our best plans are not going to get us into the promised land. Our plan is simple. Rely on the leading of the captain of the Lord's army, Jesus Christ. He's going to lead us into the promised land. He's going to give us the battle plan. Let's read verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. What does the ark of the covenant represent? The presence. The presence of God. Don't go into battle without it. I'll just back up for a second. Before the battle... What happened? Joshua had an encounter with God. How many know the battle was actually won in that encounter? It was already done. Sometimes we go to God and we're like, God, when I see the victory, I'll declare victory. But God gave the victory in the encounter. So I want to tell you this morning, that's a a huge key as we begin to declare the victory, but the victory is won in the encounter with God. That's where he gives us the plan, the strategy, and it's already done before we see it in the natural. So they take the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. Don't go into battle without the presence. Before an important event in your life, spend time in his presence. Worship him. Meditate on the word. Before they went into the battle, Joshua had a private encounter with God. Public victories are the result of private encounters with the Lord. Let me say it again. Public victories are a result of private encounters with the Lord. Verse 7, and he ordered the army advance March around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Verse 8, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, this is really important this morning, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. Other translations say this, do not shout, don't even talk. Another translation says, not a single word from any of you until I tell you. Do not let one word come out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. This is what he was saying. What was the command? Shh. Be quiet. Not one word. March around the city and be quiet. Not even one word. Don't say one word. Until I tell you. How many know your words are powerful? They are so powerful that they can sabotage God's plan for your life. If you don't know how to use your words, you can be sabotaging God's plan for your life. I believe that he wanted them to be quiet so that there was no chance for them to speak against God's plan. By the way, Jesus didn't tell him to do that. He, he, that was his idea. He's like, I've been around this, this camp for a long time. <laughs> I've seen them speak a lot of stuff that have really messed us up. He's like, I, I'm adding this to the strategy. Be quiet. Be quiet. Ephesians 4.29, this is one of my life verses. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But, say but, here's how you use your words. Only such a word that is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will impart grace to those who hear. Our words are to impart grace to people around us what is grace grace is God's unmerited favor but grace is also an empowerment to do something how many have ever heard someone say God's given me a grace to do X to be a nurse to be a realtor to be a doctor to to be a to be at home with my children and to raise them at home by myself God's given me a grace to do this grace is an empowerment So our words, we need to use our words wisely and carefully. Our words are strategic to build people up, to bring life into situations, and to impart grace to people that actually empowers them to become who God's called them to be. This is why the prophetic is so powerful because the prophetic at its core is saying, God, what do you see in this person? What do you want to release over them? And when we release it, it empowers them to become who God's called them to be and it empowers them to see who God says that they already are. This is what our words are for, to release life, to release grace, to build people up. Anything else is an unwholesome word. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, only such a word that edifies, that imparts grace to the hearers. Your words are so powerful, so use them wisely. So Joshua's command was, shh, be quiet. Your words are to impart grace over others. This is where we particularly need to pay attention to this. In your hard seasons, be quiet. Be quiet. I had a wise man tell me once, was a guy that was counseling my wife and I, and he told me, "He goes, Daniel, is a old, much older man than me. This was about ten years ago. Daniel, he had a southern accent. I've learned in my worst days to keep my mouth shut. What was he saying? When things are hard, be quiet. Don't let your mouth declare what the enemy's doing." Don't sabotage what God's trying to do. How many know that in your hard moments is where God rushes in, but we want to use our words, the enemy wants to use our words to sabotage what he's trying to do. I've had so much, so many breakthroughs in the worst moments of my life. And in those hard moments, the enemy knows that where we're weak, God wants to bring in grace and heal. So the enemy wants us to start partnering with all kinds of junk that he's putting in the atmosphere against us so that we sabotage what God's trying to do. Use your words wisely. It's part of the battle plan, how you use your words. So let's put our words to work in the positive. You can turn this around. If you have if you have a history of maybe negativity or maybe it's been in your family, You can turn that around saying, you know, I'm actually going to flip this, flip the script, and I'm actually going to use my words to speak life and to empower. I'm going to turn the page on this. That's what our words are for, to empower, to build up, to strengthen. And then the other words that come, we need to bite our tongue. (laughs) I like that it says, let no unwholesome word come from your mouth. It doesn't say, let no unwholesome thought come, because we don't always control what comes into our brain, brain but it can come into our brain but it says don't let it come out of your mouth and that's where we take authority over uh, it's called the renewing of the mind take, take, uh, take our thoughts captive and we're like okay I'm getting this thought but this is not God's thought and I am not going to speak this thought out put your words to work put your words to work for yourself this is what declarations are Start declaring life over yourself. Declare life over your family. Put your words to work. They're powerful. Take a laugh break. Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Declare God's promises over your life. You know, get, get together with like, a group of people and purpose like, hey, I'm going to speak life over you and let's speak life over each other. Let's just get like two, three families together and we're all going to say, this is what we want God to do in our life and we're all going to start making declarations each day about each other. We're all going to start praying for each other and declaring over each other and agreeing for what God wants to do in our lives. Let's drop down to Verse 15. Joshua 6:15 On the 7th day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city 7 times in the same manner except that on that day they circled the city 7 times the 7th time around when the priest sounded the trumpet blast Joshua commanded the army I like this and this is like this was probably like a brave heart moment where, you know, he didn't have a microphone like I do right now. I love having a microphone because I don't like to shout. But, I mean, this was probably a big shout. This was, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And imagine they hadn't been able to talk for all that time, and now they're ready to unleash it. You can imagine what that would have sounded like, about a million people all shouting at once. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. By the way, Rahab's a whole other message. I'm not going to dive into that today. But how many know that Rahab the prostitute, who was not a Jewish woman, she was a Canaanite woman. Do you guys realize that she's in the line of Jesus Christ? Because of what she did in this instance, where she actually protected the people that were spying out the land, she told them. She, this confirms that how fearful they were. She said, "We're terrified of you guys," and and she said, "Would you protect our family? I'll hide you guys." And he said, "We'll protect you family as long as you don't tell th- that we came in." The whole city is just is wiped out except for her and her family, and she actually is the grandmother of. Um, she is, uh, her son was, um, his name just left my brain. Who was it? Yeah. <laughs> her son is uh, Ruth's dad, which is Boaz. Thank you. <laughs> her son was Boaz. And then Ruth, she's the grandmother of Ruth. That's what I was trying to say. And Ruth uh, gave birth to Jesse, who gave birth to David. So she's really close in the to David. And she's only one of four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, a harlot. Does this not speak, in the Old Testament, does this not speak of the goodness and the grace of God and how much of a redeemer he is? Not a Jewish woman, a Canaanite woman, who is a prostitute in the line of Christ. He's an amazing redeemer. Verse 18 Says before that, said only Rahab will be spared her and her family, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Verse 19 All the silver and gold. And the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. This is the concept of first fruits. This is the first city that God is giving them. And this was a specific instruction for this city. Take all the silver and gold and put it into the God's treasury, into the church, because this is a concept of first fruits. That instruction was not given after this. There was a different instruction, but since this was the first city, this is a demonstration of first fruits. Verse twenty: When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet. Uh, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it—men, women, young, old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. So I want to ask you the, a question this morning. Again, Jericho represents the walls that God wants to bring down in your life, the strongholds. God's given you the land, and at this point, they were in the physical promised land, but he's like, now I'm going to start showing you that I'm going to take down and that I am authority over all these strongholds in your life. And he does it. They're, they're ready to do whatever he says, and he's like, here's the instruction. It's basically him doing it all. It's like, here's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Just walk around the city and and yell. So God wants to bring down every stronghold in your life. And I want you just to close your eyes this morning. The first thing I want to do this morning is I want to give you an opportunity. If, If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, He is the commander of the Lord's army, and he is here right now. See, the amazing thing about Jesus is the Bible says he's the lion and the lamb. Yes, he's the commander of the Lord's army, but he's also the perfect spotless lamb that laid down his life for each one of us here. And Jesus came to earth, and he went to the cross, and he was crucified on the cross, and the Bible said, He became sin. Him who knew no sin, he was perfect. He became sin. All the sin of the world, everything you've ever done wrong, everything I've ever done wrong, was put upon Jesus in that moment. So much so that it said he became sin. And it says he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become righteous. The righteousness of God. This is what happens when we bring our life to Jesus. We bring that $1 bill, and he gives us everything. He gives us his, his righteousness, his goodness. He gives us the kingdom. He gives us the victory. He gives us freedom. And he didn't stay dead on that cross. He rose from the grave, and he is alive, and he's here right now. He's here in this place. And if you don't know him, he wants you to know him. He wants your heart this morning. So I just want to ask you with eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you'd like to give your, your life to Jesus Christ, would you just lift your hand so I can see it? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And also on live stream, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do that with us right now. I, f- I feel led, there's nobody that raised their hand in this place, but I feel led to do this anyway for those on live stream. Let's just say this together. You know, giving your life to Jesus it's really simple. It's confessing, believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And so we say this prayer just to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus. So Let's just say this prayer together. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross so that I could be free, so that I could be clean, so that I could have his righteousness. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. Come and be my Lord from this day forward. I repent of my sins, and I give you my life. Amen. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. There's one more thing I want to do. If you're in this place, I believe that there's a spirit of breakthrough and a spirit of victory here right now, and January 1st, the Lord spoke to me, this is the year to go into your promised land. And he specifically told me, this is the year to break strongholds. This is the year where things that have been holding on to people for years and years and years, I'm going to break it off. And it's a Jericho moment for people this year. And I want to just put this out there. This is, this is just between me and you. I'm not going to call you out. But as, as everyone's eyes closed, if you have something in your life that you're like, I want to see this thing get broken, whether it's fear, depression, anxiety, stress, a sickness, uh, maybe a poverty mentality, maybe something that's came through your generational line and you've seen it just repeated over and over in the generations. And you're like, I want this thing to stop with me. So if that's you this morning, just put your hand in the air. I'm just going to pray with you right where you're at. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. Right. <laughs> Father God, right now, I thank you, God. This is the year to go into the promised land. This is the year to see the walls of Jericho come down. God, I declare right now over the people that were bold enough to raise their hand in the air, God. I declare that you're coming in right now with power as the commander of the Lord's army and you're breaking strongholds right now in Jesus' name. We thank you that they didn't have to fight on that day because the commander of the Lord's army was there and he was knocking the walls down. So we declare the walls of depression coming down in Jesus' name. I break the spirit of fear against people. I break the spirit of anxiety against people. Right now, I just thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're, you're turning situ- situations around where people have not been using their tongues to do the right thing. And you're turning it around where you are actually calling them into a place where they're going to speak tremendous amounts of life. I thank you, God, that you are breaking the back of sickness generationally right now in Jesus' name. I declare arthritis is getting healed right now. I declare, God, that you are doing what no man can do, God, but only you can do. They couldn't take those walls down. You did it, God. So we declare that you're doing all the things right now that we can't do. But, God, I just declare breakthrough, 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 victory, 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 victory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, 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 amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, thank you so much for being here today. God's doing something so special in this place, and I am just so thankful. I'm just so thankful to be here. I'm so thankful to to be your pastor. I know Joy, she's in the, with the kids today. Um, I know we're just, uh, we had a special moment this week where we're just thanking the Lord for just like 10 years of, of being in ministry. And we're just so thankful for what God's done. And you guys are, are, are a huge part of that. And so thank you so much for just being faithful to God. And uh, the best is yet to come. We're just getting started. So, yeah, let's go ahead and stand to our feet.